0: I like to tell them, sometimes it's not always going well physically, you know, sometimes it's not always going well emotionally, but spiritually speaking, it's always going well. I like to tell people, the only way it could get any better is if I was dead, and uh, people, it's amazing when people look at you when you say that, you know, they say, how's it going, I said, the only way it could be any better is if I was dead, and they go, oh no, it's not that bad. I said, no, no, it's really that good, and they look, like, huh? I said, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. I didn't get any better than that. I mean, this body of sin is going to be destroyed. I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. I mean, what better can it be? So, the only way it could be any better is if I was dead, you know? So, you've got to think about that one a little bit, okay? And uh, start using it. People look at you kind of strange, but that's okay. If, if you're living for the Lord, you are strange, according to the world. All right. Clearly, there's no video, okay? It's well with my soul. <laughs> um, my, my body is sore, um, and, and I'm tired. But we have the Word, and the Word is that which is important to us. And so we have been, over this past year, been looking at the shadow of Christ. We've been focusing on Christ, as we considered um, back at the transition coming through the, the incarnation of Christ, during that Feast of Incarnation, which we refer to as Christmas, um, that when Christ came into the world, it was not a mystery, or it shouldn't have been a mystery. There were things that were mysterious about it, Not everything that God had revealed, but the fact that God was going to become encased in flesh into the world to take the sins of the world, God had been declaring throughout time. He had been dropping hints, if you would. It's like the big mystery novel that at the end, you know, he kind of unveils everything that was going on. But through it all, there were what? There were indicators of what was really going on. And if you read a book, you know, one of those mystery novels, and you really read it, not just kind of skim through it, you'll see some of those clues that are there, okay? And so it's later on when you read the end of it, you say to yourself, what? Oh, how could I have missed that? Sometimes I wonder how many people in Jesus' day slapped themselves on the head and said, ah, how could I have missed that? It's a mind-boggling thing for me. When the Magi came, the Magi, three kings, quote-unquote, the the Magi, the, the mystics from the East came, looking for the king who was born, the one who was going to be born king of the Jews, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he causes a stir. And, and um, Herod calls in the, the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, where is he to be born that is going to be born king of the Jews? And they don't have to go back and research it. They know. They know the different parts of the mystery. Do you get it? They know the hints. They know the clues. They say, oh, well, in Bethlehem, of course. Because it says Bethlehem of Ephratah, you know thou, art, you know, th- you're not least among all the cities. You know, for from you the, the, the he was to be born king will come from. And so immediately they sent him to Bethlehem, and what did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. They send the pagans to go worship the newborn king, the Messiah, the one that they say they're looking forward to. And they say, Herod, who is an Idumean, a uh, half. Breed, quote-unquote, if you would. At best, he's not a Jew. He's an Edomian, which means he's a descendant of Esau. Believed. Now, he didn't believe to go worship, but he believed to do what? To go kill, kill to kill the offspring, to make sure that there was nobody coming up that was going to take his place. But those who were Jews, those who were studied in the law, those who were studied in the word, where were they? Still in Jerusalem. Do you get it? So, the the the, the hints were there. God had been... Dropping hints, God has been revealing the nature and in the, in the, in the coming of Messiah for thousands of years. And over these last two and a half months, we've been looking at those. We've seen Christ being the creator. We've seen him as the, the, um, the Lord of Shabbat. We've seen him as the seed of um, man. We've seen him as the seed of Abraham. We've seen him in many different ways. Over the last couple of weeks, we have focused primarily on the, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt where we've seen Christ as our Passover lamb. We've seen Christ as as the manna from heaven. Last week we saw Christ as the Shekhinah Chabod of God. The what? The Shekhinah glory. Actually, that was two weeks ago we saw the Shekhinah Chabod. And then last week was the manna, that he was the the living manna from heaven. Okay, And today we want to look at that that same scenario, okay, which is being wrapped up into the, the Feast of Tabernacles as well. And you notice, remember, two weeks ago, when we talked about the Shekinah glory, the, the tabernacling glory, the Shekhinah abode of God on the earth, we talked about that being wrapped in together with the Feast of Tabernacles. You Remember? And Jesus stood in the court of the woman during the Feast of Tabernacles, or right at the conclusion of it, and where they had the great menorah with the light, and he said, I am the light of the world. And, and so he declared himself at that moment to be that tabernacling of glory, the tabernacle and glory of God on the earth. And now we saw in John 1, verse 14, that we know that in the beginning was the Word, but we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, is the, the word there, the in and if we go back into the Hebrew, it says tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, or His chabod, um, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And so that Jesus was declared as that, that tabernacling, dwelling glory of God on the earth, and that the fullness of the Godhead, we're told in the book of Colossians, is, is encased in that human shell as Jesus. What a mind-boggling thing. I can't comprehend it. People, I mean, you know, I love when Mormons come and they just, they just think I'm an idiot. And, but it's an all a matter of faith, you know? I mean, I can't explain to you how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three and yet one. I, I, I can't. But I know it's true. I know he's fully God, but I know that he was what? Fully man. The Word of God declares it. Je- I mean, God declared it from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, that it was going to be so. It hasn't changed. So all the way from the beginning, all the way to the time of Christ on the earth, and all the way is to now, Jesus Christ and God the Father, the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. And so today we want to continue on in that, in that movement by looking at Jesus as the living water. As we read in uh, our, our um Bible readings this morning from Exodus 17 and then, then 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We want to look at that. Go back to Exodus 17. A, a brief passage for six verses. But we want to look at that and then we want to go to Numbers 20 as well and look at that. And since I don't have the overhead um, the, there, we're going to be going through a lot of verses. Okay, and, uh, Which is a good thing. Exodus 17, verses 1 to 6. And as Steve read this morning, it says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of the scene, according to the commandment of Yahweh, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt Yahweh? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses, and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt, To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, before we comment on this, turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20. And again, verses 1 through 6. Numbers 20. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin, not zin, but Zin, in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, "If only we had died when our brethren had died before Yahweh! Why have you brought us up, brought up this assembly of Yahweh into the wilderness, that we may that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of pomegranates, of grain, or figs, or vines, or pomegranates." nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went up from the presence of the assembly of the door of the tabernacle meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather together the congregation, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water before them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before Yahweh as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered assembly together before the rock and said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Now, here they are, they're coming out of Egypt, okay? And so, they've just seen God do mighty works, incredible works, they've passed through the Red Sea, right? They're coming out the other side, they've got this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night that's leading them, that's also protecting them from the, the armies of, of Egypt and they come out and they have no food. We talked about that, right? And, and they begin to whine. They, 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 you know, what are we going to eat? You know, we're not going to eat anything. You brought us out here so we may die in the wilderness. And so, so Moses goes before Yahweh and he says, you know, what am I going to do? You know, how can I feed? And you think about the, the disciples, remember talking to Jesus? You know, even if we had 300 denarii, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't feed all these people. Well, how are we going to feed all these people? So Moses kind of escalate that. We're going for God and saying, How am I going to feed all these people? And God says, I'll do it. You know, just tell them what to do. So he provides them manna. What is it? Remember the, the little wafers like coriander seed, you know, that, that's out there. And, and so they get it every day, you know, twice as much on, on, on Friday so that they don't have to go out on Shabbat on Saturday to, to, to do that, because they're supposed to rest on Saturday, right? It's supposed to be a day of rest. And so they see that happening. Now the next thing is they get to a place where there's what? No water. So what's their instant reaction? Murmur, complain, dispute, okay? Isn't it amazing? Don't, I mean, how much we are like Israel sometimes? How God provides in a miraculous w- manner for us, and then all of a sudden, the next time we have a need, what do we do? Murmur, grummer, complain. And isn't it amazing, then, Paul says in, to the Philippians, he says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, among, uh, in a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you may shine as lights in the world. Now, if we do all things without murmuring and disputing, that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, right? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom we may shine, why are we going to shine? Because we're so different. Why? Because we're not murmuring and disputing. That means that the, the, this crooked and perverse nation is a, a nation, crooked and perverse nation of what? Murmurs and disputers. <laughs> Isn't that the United States? Isn't it? I mean, it's so amazing to me. If you take even the poorest people of the United States, they are in the upper class of the world. Wake quiet. And you and I are not even in the poorer class. I mean, maybe some of us are considered in the poorer class. But I, I'm looking at it. I don't think any of you are poverty level. I don't think, you know, are on the, that, that poverty thing. Okay? Now, we may feel like we're impoverished at times. But that's only because we're what? We're murmuring and disputing. Because we're looking at the, the millions and billionaires... And saying, oh, I don't have what they got. You know, I want a yacht too. You know, (laughs) well, it's just not so. It's all about contentment. And it's all about finding your contentment through the filling of God in your life. And that's what they're going to get to. These people are coming out of Egypt. And where are their spiritual eyes focused? On Moses. On themselves, on the world. The question is: Even do they have spiritual eyes? They're focusing on the things of the world. They're not focusing on God. They've seen God provide. Get it? That's why they don't think of all those those, those plagues in Egypt. There's a reason why God has Moses take that rod, of which you struck the river. What river did he strike? The Nile. And what happened to the Nile? It turned to blood in all the water throughout Egypt. So he takes this rod to strike the rock. And what happens with the rock? Whether it breaks in two or whatever, we don't know how it happens, but the rock begins gushing forth water. It's not a little bit extreme. How many people are in the nation of Israel? Approximately, we don't know exactly, but there. About a million and a half. About 1.6 million people. 1.6 million people. It's not a little bitty stream. It's, you didn't go out and just turn on your faucet and start giving 1.5 million people some, a drink. Plus the livestock yeah, forget the livestock. Yeah, you're right. Plus the livestock, yeah. So uh, that throw in. that in. I mean, you got a river. Like a river. Glorious, isn't it? I mean, that's what it's all. You know, God's got this water gushing forth. For a million and a half people in this camp to be able to drink, God can provide it. But in this, we see then the failure of the people. Why did they, what was their failure? First of all, they had a lack of trust. A lack of trust. They did not trust in God. Honestly, when we begin to murmur and complain, what does it reveal? A lack of trust. I don't trust God to provide for my needs. You understand? I mean, I understand there are times when there's a little bit of anxiety. I had that this week. You know, when I went to install cabinets and the the tile wasn't long enough. It didn't go to where the cabinets were. And so now all of a sudden, I'm back a day or two of work. And I just have to say, Hmm, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers temptations and trials, you know, knowing that this works, what? Patience and faith. And so I talked to George. I told George, I said, why is it that the Lord's really humbling humble me on your job? And um, anyways, but I, I, I said to George, I said, you know, what does the Bible say? You go with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You know, you know, don't be anxious, but with prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. So I have to go, and I had to be thankful to God. Thank you, God, for this moment, <laughs> because you're teaching me through it. You know, there's things that I'm learning through this. There's a reason why all this is happening, and though I'm I'm struggling with the 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 fullness of my thankfulness at this moment, I'm I, I'm thankful. You know, and that's a hard thing, isn't it? It's hard not to murmur because. My ways, clearly, must be what? Higher than God's ways. <laughs> but that's not what the Bible says, is it? What does the Bible say about that? God's ways are higher. His thoughts far beyond my thoughts. So they had a lack of trust. They'd forgotten the Red Sea deliverance. They'd forgotten the rock. I mean, think about it, when we read Numbers 20. Numbers 20, when they, when they start complaining about the, the water again, what did they already forget? The last time they complained. Yeah! What did God do the last time they didn't have any water? He brought water out of a rock. I mean, listen, if God can bring water out of a rock, have you ever tried to squeeze a rock and get water? I mean, enough to feed, you know, to give a million and a half people water? And the rock is falling. The rock is fall- well, yeah. Not, I, don't, I don't think it was that. I, I think the rock is falling, the rock that followed them. It, I, I think it just, I don't think there was literally a rock going, following them along. I, I think the idea was that wherever they went, there was what? Yeah. There was a rock that they could hit, and it brought forth water. And, um, and we know, and we'll get to but the rock is, is Jesus. The rock is Christ. Um, because he's... Oh, You never know, it could be. God, I mean, God can do anything. And so if he wants to bring that rock there, he can do that. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the reality is, is just the fact that no matter where they go... God can bring forth water out of a, a rock. And, uh, and so they lacked their trust, they had a lack of trust, and they had a lack of contentment. And that speaks to us. But the second thing we see in this, this passage is not just a failure of the people, but there's a failure of the leaders, the leadership. First of all, um, and we're in Numbers 20 on this one, but before we get there, I want to just put a little aside from even Exodus 17. What happened when the people started complaining to Moses in, in Exodus 17. He went to God, he got upset. What did he do? When he went to God, how did he approach God? He complained. He complained. He did the exact same thing the people did. Do you get it? I, you know, I don't shy away from things picking on myself. You <laughs> I've I've said numerous times. I mean, I'm just like you are. There's no difference between me and anybody else, other than God has allowed me the privilege of being what—a voice box. That's it. Don't put me on a pedestal, and don't put any other preacher on a pedestal, because they're going to what? They're going to fail. They're sinners. I am a sinner, just like you are. I wish I could tell you that I lived the perfect life, but I'm not. I'm not Jesus. Moses, the friend of God, Moses, the prophet, that was going to be the picture. We'll talk about that in a few weeks and a couple months from now. When Jesus, we're is, is comes like in the image, the picture of Moses, the prophet. I mean, he is the one that God chose to be this guy. And yet Moses what? Moses fails at times as well. So here in Numbers 20, what do we see in this, this failure? When, when in Numbers 20, when the, the, the children of Israel come again, the second time whining about water, and God says to him, he says, okay, right, now I want you to go and I want you to what? Speak to the rock. Okay? What did Moses do? He struck it twice. Okay? Well, yes and no. Because it worked last time. Let's just, let's stop for a moment and just, let's say the obvious. He disobeyed God. God said what? Speak. And Moses struck. Okay? What's the second thing he did? Which was actually the greatest thing that he did, did wrong. He did not honor God. That's exactly He took credit. And he comes and Moses and Aaron come together. He says, verse 10, he says, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water from the rock for you. He didn't say anything about God at this point. He didn't give God the glory. Must we do this again? And in his anger, he what? Struck the rock. Now, people have said... That Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land, because he struck the rock twice, and Christ is only supposed to be crucified once, and he was, cr- and, 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 seriously, this is the, this this is, this is the traditional view of this, and, and that, and that, in striking the rock twice, he, he crucified Christ twice over, okay? And, and that was the reason, a lot, I'm glad a lot of you are looking at me like, this is crazy, um, but that's okay, I mean, I'm okay with people looking at that um, spiritual analogy, Right. And so therefore he wasn't allowed to strike it here because it had already been struck. So that's why he was told to speak And and say they, 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 they Right. What? Well, yes, whatever. But the minute he struck the minute he struck it the second time it was right. So but what does God say? Okay? What does God say about it? Go to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is actually kind of fun. Well, dude, I'm sorry. Numbers 27 first. Numbers 27 to see what God says about this. Numbers 27. Numbers 27, verse 12. Numbers 27, verse 12. Now Yahweh said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abraim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you see it, you shall also be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my commandment. You rebelled? Who? You rebelled against my commandment to hallow me, at the waters before their eyes. God doesn't say because you struck the rock. He says because you refused to what? Honor me, Honor me before you you, hallow, you refused to hallow me. And I think the words that he uses are extremely interesting. When Moses and Aaron went before the people in Numbers 20 at the wilderness of Zin, and, and, he, and he said to them, listen now you what? Okay, let's bring this into, the, into a, uh, another form. You rebellious ones, if you would, right? That's what a rebel is, right? It's a rebellious one. And so God turns around and says, when you what? Rebelled against me. Wow. By your own words you will be condemned, right? Isn't Matthew 7 say, Judge not lest you be judged, and with what judgment you judge others shall be measured unto you, pressed down in full. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. When you start labeling people as what? Rebels and rebellious people okay that 's exactly right i mean i've i've had so many people talk about let's just, let's pick on alcoholism for a moment okay and and they want they want to they just want to beat up alcoholics okay people who are given over to to al- alcohol um, in an addictive way okay well what's the what 's the uh, standard what 's the measure what's what's the me- god measuring tool that god's going to use is it that you aren't addicted to alcohol? No, it's, it's, it's self-control. They lack self-control with alcohol. So what about you who lack self-control in eating or in gossip or in pornography or in your thought life? The same measuring stick is going to be used. You want to lambast somebody because they lack self-control in a certain area? Be careful because the same measuring stick of self-control will be measured right back at you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have standards. Standards are important. But you better be careful when you start judging somebody else because of something in their life, sin in their life, because guess what? God's going to turn around, he's going to take that same measuring stick and slap you upside the head with it. Okay, probably on the, on the seat of learning, okay? All right, we're back there at Numbers 20, right? Oh, let's go to Deuteronomy 4, because Moses, Moses still doesn't get it, even though he's told that this is the reason why. In Deuteronomy 4, he still doesn't go there, okay? In, in verse 20, Deuteronomy 4, verse 20, But Yahweh, this is Moses talking to Israel, his last address. He's getting ready to to go and die. He says, But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, Yahweh was angry with me because of you, for your sakes. And swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. <laughs> you know, I can't go in. I've led you this entire way. I'm 120 years old. I spent my first 40 years in Pharaoh's temple I spent my next 40 years out in the wilderness and then I spent my last 40 years with you bunch of murmuring, complaining, stupid, you and now I can't even go in because you're, because of you aren't you glad you don't live in my house sometimes (laughs) yes (laughs) I never do that at home (laughs) (laughs) meow 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 Judge not, lest you be judged. How many times, now I know you're not that demonstrative before God and before your kids. Because, you know, this is his kids, right? And you moms and dads, you, you never have whined to your kids because they've prevented you from being able to do something. Or they've, they've embarrassed you. Or, or you can't do certain things because they're there. You had them. Um, Don? Don? These were their children. <laughs> <wasn't even> he <laughs> wasn't even them. And uh yes, that's true. Most of them were already dead. But they whined. well actually, a lot of them were dying already. And so at the at the second time in numbers 20, you already have some of the uh, the the younger ones growing up and, and whining as well. And uh the younger ones were just standing around. Their parents are the ones who saw it. Who are complaining. Well, but uh, but the younger ones, The younger ones are growing up and now they're adults and they're complaining as well. is my point. And um And so the the point is that the leadership failed as well. Okay? And and why did Moses and Aaron fail? Because they're human. Because they're just like the people. And they took their eyes off of God. Do you get it? It It doesn't change for any one of us. Our refreshing comes from Jesus. It comes from God. To go back into the Old Testament. Our eyes have got to be focused on his provision and protection. If we take our eyes off of God, ultimately, where do they go? What do we talk about in Sunday school? they go on ourselves. Philippians 4.13 says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We just forget the second half of the verse. I can do all things. And when it comes out of my control, what happens? Everything messes up, and I can't handle it, and anxiety starts overwhelming me. And I can, I've got to always realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I am weak, then his strength is revealed in such a great and phenomenal way. You can do it. And you can get through the wilderness if God chooses to allow you to walk through the wilderness. Because if God chooses to allow you to walk through the wilderness, he will do what with you? He will walk through that wilderness with you. This entire time, we've mentioned this a couple of weeks in a row now, this entire time, what is going through the wilderness with them? The, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Even when they're getting up and they're looking at the manna, they see the, the, the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. When they go and they get the water and when they're complaining about the water and all this other kind of stuff, what's there? The pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. God has never left them. He's never left them nor forsaken them. He's always there. Always there. He's always in your life. The, the, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has never left you. Never. Once. If you're murmuring and complaining, it's because you're not looking to him. You're focusing on the wrong place. And again, I shared in the past the, the different times of God's provision for me. I mean, God is always there. He knows what we need when we need it. There was a blessing. Um, I think I shared in Sunday school. Lawrence Mixon stopped in at ten thirty on Friday night. Ten thirty, Friday night. What a blessing! What a time of refreshing! Now, for those who don't know Lawrence, Lawrence has been here in the past. So we've had them ministered with them for a couple different times in their lives. But they're in Washington, the state of Washington. He just happened to be on the East Coast and was invited to the ball, um, at the Brigade Ball up on Fort Gordon for Friday night. So while he was in town, he was leaving the next morning, he decided to stop by after the ball and, and stop in. Boy, he was decked out. I mean, he wasn't just in dress blues, he was in dress mess. I mean, I mean, I thought I was, had an ambassador at my house. You know, it was pretty cool looking. And... Um, and was, I was going to ask to take my picture with him, but I yeah. thought it'd be a little tacky. Um, anyways, <laughs> I didn't look very good at that moment. I thought it would look, the contrast wouldn't have been really good, you know? And uh, so it'd been good for him. Yeah, said, wow. <laughs> but, um, but what an honor. I told him when he left, You know, he, was, he felt bad. He stayed till midnight. He was on 9 o'clock his time because he's West Coast time, you know, so it was only 9 o'clock. He was, he was raring to go. It was midnight our time. And so he was saying, oh, yeah, I feel bad for stopping by. So, no, I said, what an honor. What an honor. For for you you're in town and you had opportunity to stop someplace, you stopped at my house. You, you 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 blessed me, you honored me. You know? And honestly, for me, for Bob, it was a time of refreshing. A time of encouragement. I mean Lawrence within two years could have a star. He could be General Mixon. And we were talking about, you know, kids and stuff like that. Just the fact that the thing that the Lord continues to encourage me with is to be an influencer of influencers. An influencer of influencers. You have no clue whose life you are influencing and where they will be. Somebody tell me the name of the man who led D.L. Moody to the Lord. Can anybody tell me his name? All right, tell me what his profession was. Good, shoe salesman. We remember the shoe salesman part, don't we? Only because we've heard the story over and over again, but we have no clue what his name is. How many people did that guy ever lead to the Lord? You haven't got a clue. You only know about what? One. And you know about that one because D.L. Moody then became a mighty tool in the hand of the Lord. Do you get it? He was an influencer of an influencer who God used in a mighty way. God will give you the season of refreshing when you need it. He'll bring the water out of the rock when you're thirsty. And so, turn to John 7, because at that great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, that we talked about a few weeks ago as well, in John chapter 7, we have the recording then of that final day of the great feast. Now, you've got to understand um, the setting um, of what we're going to read here in a moment. In Tabernacles was an eight-day feast. It began with a holy convocation unto the Lord. That meant it was a high Sabbath. Okay? There were weekly Shabbats, weekly Sabbaths, that were set apart to the Lord, and there was no work done. But at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which comes right on the heels of Passover, Unleavened Bread began with a holy convocation and ended with a holy convocation. That was in the spring. And then in the fall you had this Feast of Tabernacles, In and, and Sukhoth would start with the, the Holy Convocation, a high Shabbat, a holy Sabbath unto the Lord, on the first day. And on the eighth day, it would end with a, a high Sabbath, a holy convocation unto the Lord. And, and traditionally, the Jews be, had made this eighth day into what was called the great day of the festival. Because as the... the 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 um, as the, I'm going backwards to you here. Let me... Let me let me, let me go backwards to me so I can move forward to you, okay? So, as they would go on, they would increase the, the offerings and the sacrifices, okay? I mean, the intensity of the, of the feast would in, continually increase, okay? And finally, on that last day, by tradition, not according to God's law, because God didn't command them to do this, they would go down to the Pool of Siloam, okay? Does anybody know anything about the Pool of Siloam? Right. People would go there because they thought that there was a what in there? A healing. That there was this power of living water. Get it? From this pool of Siloam. And so they would grab a big golden basin of this living water. Of this healing water. And they would bring it with this big processional back to the temple. And they had this this huge um, two-armed menorah kind of thing that would... Kind of wind its way together. And in the end, the, these two kind of pipes would come into one. And in the one, they would pour wine. And in the other, they would pour this living water. So that the wine and the water would be mixed over the sacrifice as a water libation. Okay? As a, as a part of the sacrifice. And everybody looked forward to this moment. I mean, this was the great day of the feast. Okay? So... So this is what's happening. you got this whole thing. Everybody's there. Remember how important Tabernacles was for those who were going through the book Isaiah with me during Sunday school? That in the millennium, this is the only feast where every nation is to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And if they don't come to the Feast of Tabernacles, God is going to give them drought. Jesus Christ living on the earth, rod of iron, he is going to withhold the rain from that nation during the millennium. So, what does it say about the Feast of Tabernacles? It's very important. Okay? And this whole thing about water. Get it? Because if they don't come, he's going to withhold water from them. You get it? So, here we go. Uh, John chapter 7. Look at verse 37. It says, On the last day, the great day of the Feast, and we know that it's the Feast of Tabernacles, over from verse 2 of chapter 7, where it says, Now, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Okay? So, we know it's the... Verse 37 again. The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? And so we have this setting of this last day of the tabernacles, okay? And Jesus then, in the midst of this thing, while everybody is, they're, they're focusing on this, this, this phenomenal spectrum, Jesus stands up in the temple and says what? I'm it! You guys are looking for this living water! For this healing! From God, for this refreshing! I'm it. I'm it. Now, The water coming down was also a picture of the great rock that followed them throughout the wilderness. Where God, just like the manna coming down, okay, because they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Tabernacles is all about a remembrance of how God was with them through the wilderness. And so this water coming down is a remembrance of how God provided water for them, even when they had none. So it was what? The living water. God is the living water. He's the one who, even when there is no water in the desert, He's the one who can provide it. And Jesus says, I'm the rock. I'm it. I'm the source of the living water. If you thirst, come to me. Come to me, and I will quench your thirst. For out of you will flow rivers and fountains of living water. So what does he mean? What's the substance of that? What's the substance of his of his his statement? Well, first of all, note the condition that's there. What's the condition that Jesus puts on it? If any man what? If anybody come. If anybody come. You have to come. You have to come what? Believing. You don't just walk down an owl. You just don't say a prayer. I just, I get so tired of, of our phar- Phariseeism and judge not that should be judged. That, that we do the same things that they did back then. And we want people to follow traditions. We want people to follow um, works. And, and as long as they look okay, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, follow this, do this. You know, he said, follow me. Believe, believe, believe. And, and, and then his, then we're told a commentary from John. He says, "Now this he said concerning what? The Spirit, which they hadn't received yet. Which meant that there was going to be a day that come that what? That they were going to receive the, the Holy Spirit. And it was the Spirit that was within us that's going to bubble through us and it's going to draw us. Do, do you get it? And, and it's going to be that, that's what's there. But you've got to come. You've got to be willing to come. And so in Revelation 22, verse 17, you don't need to turn there. You can look at that later. But at the very end, the very end of the Bible, the end of the Revelation, we read, where um, in the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let him who hears say, "Come," and let him who thirsts what, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. If you are focusing on the physical, you will continually be thirsty. But if you focus on the spiritual. God wants to quench you. He wants to quench that thirst. You know, you've heard of the, what's the, 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 the advertisement, the thirst quencher? What, what's that? Gatorade? Gatorade's the third quen- It's not a thirst quencher. I, I, I promise you, I've had a lot of Gatorade, and, 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 and I've, gotten, I've gotten thirsty later. It, it, it ultimately didn't thir- quench my thirst. Jesus said he is the ultimate thirst quencher. Turn to John 4. Someone mentioned earlier about the the, the woman at the well. And in John 4, beginning of verse 10, we're not going to read the whole um, context here, but beginning of verse 10, Jesus answered and said to this woman, 'Um, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's thinking what? Physical. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this Gatorade, whoever drinks of this water, will what? Will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him Will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That condition is not just that you have to come. But note what the condition really is you have to thirst. You have to thirst. It's just like Jesus talked about being the physician, and he didn't come to, to heal those who were what? Well. They didn't know that they needed what? A doctor. How many people that think that they're good come to see you, Steve? Not too many. The, you know, normally, the ones who, who, who are brought to you are ones who, at least, the parents thought were sick. The kid may say, "Oh no, mom, I'm okay, I'm okay. I don't need to see that guy in that white suit," you know. And and, and she says, "No, honey, I think you're sick, so you need to go see him." Right <laughs> now, when we're a little bit older, you know, then we we make our kids go. But we what? We, we drag we drag our feet. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Until someone forces us to be prodded, huh, Rodney? <laughs> and, uh, and so, that's exactly right. But Jesus said, only the ones that he came to, to minister to are the ones who knew that they were sick. Well, it's the same analogy. The only reason you're going to take a drink is if you're what? Thirsty. You're not going to go to the fountain of living water, the fountain of living water, if you don't know that you're thirsty. And so, I love... Some passages here that I'm going to read to you. Psalm 63. David, while he's in the wilderness of Judah, which is a desert. Okay, He says, O oh God, you are my God. Early, earnestly, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He got it. He understood it. He was in a desert where there wasn't a whole lot of water. And he said, God, I hunger and thirst for you more than I do for the oasis. I want finding you more important in my life than finding a watering hole. What about you? I'm going to show my age. Some of you will remember this one. The guy is crawling through the desert, perspiring, near dying. He gets to the edge and he he finds a the, um, a little establishment there. And he just grows up and he says, no, this is a bad commercial, okay? Anyways, and and the guy says, he says, you got any Strohs? Got any Strohs? It was a beer. And he says, no, I got some nice cold water. And he says, no, I had my thirst test for the Strohs. In other words, so here he's going to be dead, you know, and he's not going to take any water. Take my illustration. Do you got God? Do you got Jesus? No, but I got some physical water. No, that ain't going to satisfy. What I really need is Jesus. Do you want God more than you want even water itself if you were in a desert dying? That's what Jesus says. That's what God says is the analogy. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of God and nor stands in the way of sin and nor sits in the seat of scornful. His delight is in the law or the word of the Lord And in His Word doth He meditate day and night. Day and night. Talking about all day. He's meditating on God's Word. And what happens because He's meditating on God's Word? He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Living water. Water that is not going away. It's not being quenched. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever He does shall prosper. Listen, if you've ever been... To Israel, Marsh and I have, and we spent a day walking into Negev, in the Negev, in the desert. Okay, that was just so we could understand what the desert was like. It's amazing the vegetation that's there where there is no water. But some of it was lush, these eucalyptus trees or whatever, they were, they were lush and they were growing, lotus trees. You know why? They had underwater, uh, underground springs. They were tapped, the roots were tapped into a water supply that nobody else could see. Jesus said, you must be born again. You need to be born of the water and of the Spirit. He says, it's amazing to me. You guys, you know all these things. he says, but do you know where the wind is? Do you know how it blows? You see the movement, but you can't see the wind. You can't see the Spirit within you. But you can see the response of a person to the Spirit within them. I can't see Jesus in you. Be nice, open up the door. Oh look, there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, wouldn't it be nice if you kind of had a compartment and you kind of knew? But what do you see? You see the movement of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit flowing through somebody. I know. It looks like a ballet, doesn't it? Anyways. I mean think about it. You didn't know there was any wind out there, you couldn't see the wind, but what could you see the last week? Yellow clouds. Right? What's a yellow cloud? It's the pollen from the pine tree being what moved by the wind. So you didn't see the wind, but you saw the effect of the wind. I should be able to look in your life and see the effect of the wind, the effect of God in your life, the living water flowing through your life, coursing through your life, and you should look for the same for me. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And so, finally, we have then that provision. Jesus says that if you're thirsty and if you come, you will be filled. You'll be filled. Not just satisfied, you'll be filled. You, you, you will be filled. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to get into all that. You've got verses on your sermon notes. So you can look at that. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is going to come within you. He's going to teach you, lead you into all truth. He's going to teach you the things of Christ. He's going to seal you to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. You're also going to be filled with, with, um, with the gift of salvation. You can't lose it. It's yours. God's going to guarantee it. But not only are you going to be filled, he said you're going to be overflowing. How many of you have watched any of the YouTube videos on the tsunami? In Japan. Amazing amazing to watch huge freighters and yachts just being swept by the power of that water houses just start to go shh gone i mean to know the size of these vans and to see a whole line of them just kind of go whoosh. and it's all because The water overflowed the banks. Do you get it? And all that damage, understand it's damage, but get rid of it for a moment, as damage. But all that effect was caused by that water. You and I have that kind of power, if you would, spiritually speaking. Again, get off the physical, get into the spiritual. You and I have that power, spiritually speaking, at your disposal, my disposal. Jesus said he was that living water, but you would be overflowing with the living water. Do you get it? Just as Jesus declared that he was what? The light of the world, but then he also declared about us what? You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. Just as he is the living water that brings forth salvation, you are the living water. Do you get it? You are the, you are the, the, the fountains of which he is pouring forth His living water into this world. You're the faucet. If people are going to get it, if they're going to be swept away like the tsunami to Jesus Christ, it's going to come through who? It's going to come through us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 33 says, Either make, this is Jesus speaking, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give it account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Out of the fountain of the deep of your heart is going to pour forth the fountain of your words. And so James declares, in James 2, can it bring forth both sweet water and bitter at the same time? If you are tapped into the fountain of living water, who is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is flowing up through your veins. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and my words abide in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. And so, whatever the vine is tapped into is coming into the branches. Do you get it? And so I then as the tree, if my my roots are sunk into the Word of God, and into the Spirit of God, into the presence of God? What's going to be flowing through the branches of my life and into the fruit of my tree? The power of God. The living water that comes from Him. And now I'll turn the analogy then to me being just that little park fountain, you know, that little, you know, when you go to the campsites and you have that thing where you open and close the valve and the the water kind of comes up from below. Okay, And that's my life. I'm that little camping faucet. And someone comes and pops the valve. What's coming out for people to drink of? Is it gray water? (laughs) Someone switched the lines. They take a sip of it and they go, Who switched the lines? Do you ever taste your water at home sometimes when... When they're, they're, they're working on the lines and there's either too much chlorine or there's not enough chlorine. <laughs> That's why we buy what? Filters. <laughs> yeah, bottled water too. That's why we buy filters for our house. People shouldn't need to put a water filter on your life. When it comes out of the faucet of your life, it should be overflowing with living water. So, What are you seeking to satisfy your thirst? Are you looking for Gatorade, i.e., the thirst quencher of the world? Or are you looking for the thirst quencher of God, the living water that comes from his word and from his presence? Are you a possessor of the living water that Christ offered to you freely? Is the living water really within you? It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to ask you to come down the aisle. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and and, and embarrass yourself. But one day you're going to stand before God. And if it's not true, you'll be embarrassed then. And it's it's better to be embarrassed now than it is back in that day. Yes? And finally, what's bubbling out of the spring of your life? When someone opens up that, that valve, whether through trials or through blessings... What comes bubbling out? Is it the living water of God, or is this a stagnant, aki stuff of the world? Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your love. I thank you for the water of your Word, Lord. I think as a as a husband, how you've um, you've called on me to love my wife, even as Christ also loved the church, and that He gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify her. And, and wash her with the the washing of the water by the Word. Lord, forgive me for not using your Word um, in the cleansing sense as often as I should. Forgive me, Lord, for not being as inundated and saturated with your living water as I ought to be. Forgive me for allowing the, the pressures of this world from standing in the place of your word, and and not spending the time that I need to, as an individual. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to spend great amounts of time in your presence and in your word. Lord, that we truly may be those fountains that bring forth the living water to those that we come in contact with. We thank you that you are the rock. You are the rock that provides the refreshment when we need it. Help us, Lord, to be, in a sense, those little rocks that you desire for us to be. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. In your Bolton. Um, there's an insert which has the song "Living Water" in it. It's a an old um, older hymn. Springs of living water. Let's take that and we're going to sing through that. Okay, let's, let's stand together.